Good morning. Welcome to morning prayers. Please stand as you are able at this time to join me in a responsive reading of Psalm number 18, found on page 9 in your Black Appleton Psalter. I adore you, O Lord, my strength. My rock, in whom I seek refuge, my shield, my mighty champion, my haven. Ropes of Sheol encircled me, snares of death confronted me. You have given me the shield of your protection. Your right hand has sustained me. Your care has made me great. You have inspired me. My feet have not For this I sing your praise among the nations, Lord, and him your name.
On April 12, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. sat inside a Birmingham jail cell. His crime? Daring to challenge the city leaders to dismantle the structures of racial segregation, economic suppression, and political disenfranchisement. Though nearly a decade since Brown versus Board of Education Supreme Court ruling, Birmingham, like the rest of the South, remained obstinate and incompliant. Though local activists had struck deals in good faith with local businesses to integrate the labor force and city services, those who controlled the levels of power remained insidious and perfidious. Thus, Dr. King partnered with local leaders to engage in nonviolent demonstrations. They intended to expose the acute structural violence that encumbered the existence of blacks in Birmingham. Public Safety Commissioner Bull Connor and local police contributed to a theater, theater of terror for African Americans. As King's nonviolent demonstration ultimately exposed, city leaders were willing to go to any extent. Fire hoses, attack dogs, billy clubs, and even the bombing of churches to defend an unjust status quo. White supremacy was the enduring lie that sustained those in power. It was the evil ideology that provided economic benefit to an elite few while exploiting a multiracial majority. Yet resistance did not just extend from ardent segregationists. While King sat in a jail that April day, eight local religious leaders released a public statement in several local newspapers. Entitled, an appeal for law and order and common sense. These prominent ministers and rabbis were well respected as voices of moderation. They were highly regarded for their well-reasoned clarity and political savvy. When they spoke, people listened. And on this occasion, they used their voice to call King's demonstrations, I quote, unwise and untimely. The statement went on to make a fallacy of false equivalence between nonviolent protesters and the forces of violence that sought to suppress dissent. They stated, just as we pointed out that hatred and violence have no sanction in religious or political traditions, we also point out that such actions that incite hatred and violence have contributed to local problems. The statement then goes on to commend law enforcement on their calm and restraint and for protecting our city from violence. It ends with a puerile and patronizing conclusion. We appeal to both our white and Negro citizens to come together in common sense 
and decency. I cite this statement today not to elaborate on the moral clarity, consistency, and intellectual acumen demonstrated in King's famous response, a letter from a Birmingham city jail. But rather, I cite this public statement as a harbinger of our contemporary moments. Fifty years after Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination on April 4th, 1968, we continue to confuse appeals to law and order with appeals to justice. Fifty years later, we continue to frame institutional challenge from people of color as inherently violent while commending militarized police forces the prison industrial complex, and other forms of state suppressions as keepers of the peace. And 50 years after a bullet severed King's spine, we continue to frame those who condemn this nation's love affair with weaponry as unwise and untimely. Sure, We've incorporated Martin Luther King Jr. into our ideological talking points. He is now part of the pantheon of American civic gods. We've encased him for mass consumption as MLK, the innocuous colorblind dreamer, a veritable tooth fairy of racial harmony. And we appeal to him as a moral paragon of peace every time citizen protest exposes the hypocrisy of democracy for those living on the underside of an American empire. Yet this nation still refuses to wrestle with the implications of his moral thought and political philosophy in the contemporary moment. It seems it's easy it's easier to deify a dead dreamer than heed the words of a living prophet. Unfortunately, to do this, this would mean that you and I must own our own complicity in extending the tentacles of injustice at home and abroad. Maybe this is why, like those eight religious leaders, too many of us appeal to common sense and calm to mask our moral cowardice. We appeal to peaceful solutions when it comes to those terrorized by inadequate housing, underfunded schools, and low-wage employment. But the difference is between King and those eight ministers then, and King and many of us now, is that King could see. His clarity of moral vision reminded us then and reminds us now that we do not have to make this so difficult. It's not that difficult. It's not difficult to see that there's a problem with a nation that defends the right to bear arms with greater fervor than it does the right for all citizens to vote. It's not difficult to see that there's a problem with a nation that allows some states to spend more per year to house prisoners than it does per pupil for education. And it's not difficult to see that any nation that sticks with a system of taxation 
that has exacerbated economic inequality over the past four decades is a society heading for collapse. This is why King stated in 1967 from the pulpit of the Riverside Church, our nation needs a revolution of values. We need to move from a thing-oriented society to a love-oriented society. A society that places people over profits and the common good over individual acquisition. And when we do this, maybe, just maybe, in the words of the prophet Amos, justice will roll down like a water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now we will offer a short benediction. Please join me in singing the closing hymn. We'll sing one verse of the closing hymn. In Christ there is no east or west. Hymn number 341. Found in your crimson hymnal. Hymn number 341. May God's peace rest, rule, and abide in each of our lives from this day on until we meet again. Let the gathered people say, Amen. Amen.